Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify and SoundCloud, you can also hear us every Friday on RT with Radio 1 Extra. And of course, every day during the week, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Joining me, as always, is our Tech Central CEO, Niall Kitson and while everybody was having a, a nice little day off on Monday for the bank holiday, we were busy watching the Apple keynote speech at the WWDC in the States. Instead of not going through all of the things that Apple announced, because there were lots, I thought maybe we'd just talk about the top five that kind of impressed us. So do you want to open? What was the thing that impressed you the most? Yeah, they were all business, weren't they? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, the thing I was most impressed by was to do with the iPad uh, for a couple of reasons. But you will be able to mirror your iPad with your Mac OS desktop. Ah, now I have seen this done before. And that's a very natty little feature to have, especially if you're working on the road. Yes, and I am a habitual second screener. At this stage, you know, I'm just too used to working with a second screen. So the idea of being able to have a little 13 inch laptop, my little, you know, 12 inch Mac, sorry, my little 12 inch iPad Pro or a 9.7 inch. It's just it's nice. It's a nice, Mm. elegant solution to a problem I always seem to have. Well, I had I I was I'm kind of a second screener like you, right, because I'm doing audio and video editing all day, every day. I like to have that real estate of two screens. When I'm working Mm. on a PC, I like to have just one large screen. But what I tend to do is split the apps. So one app takes up one half of the screen, one app takes up the other, which I can do in an office environment because I have a big screen. But when I'm on the road, like yourself, I've got a 13 inch uh, laptop and I'm pretty much stuck with that screen. Um, What do you use second screening for? Yeah, I would have, say, a Word document open on one and a browser open mm-hmm. on the other. So we're we're having a mix of two apps that, you know, one is definitely the workhorse and the other is uh, a, a nice ride along, if you will. So I wouldn't be doing quite what you do. I wouldn't be using mm. an awful lot of horsepower, mm. but I definitely appreciate the um, extra real estate, especially, you know, if you have two word documents open side by side or something like that. So, yes, I am very impressed with this, but I guess it's not the most impressive in a, a global scale, but it did make my heart swell. I think the most impressive thing on a global scale that got everybody talking is the one thing that was close to my heart and something that we haven't seen a, an update in in a long time. And that's the Mac Pro. Yes, yes. Now, I was wondering when exactly we would be getting around to talking about this, because I thought you were going crazy on this. Therefore, it would be the first thing we would talk about. So what gives? Why is this only number two on our list? Because you insisted on going first. This is number one on my list. (laughs) Okay, fair (laughs) enough. The Mac Pro. I didn't like the last Mac Pro. Um, Just that whole trash can look and it was it was kind of 
it just looked weird um, and th- there were heat problems with it. Uh, there and, were. And, uh, you know, kind of, whereas I like what they've done with the uh, uh, the new Mac Pro. Now, it doesn't look like a trash can. They've gone back to that kind of big silver box uh, look, which they're all calling a cheese grater. Uh, and the, kind of like the last Mac Pros that would have come out uh, in, the, in like maybe 10 years ago, did look kind of like a cheese grater, but there were small enough holes in the grill, whereas the one this time around is uh, the holes are much bigger, and I think they look garish. It's quite industrial looking, isn't oh, it? It's worse than industrial looking. I don't know. But anyway, look, uh, looks, looks aren't... Uh, and then also they've added wheels because it's a heavy mother. All right. They've put <laughs> wheels on it so you can uh, uh, move it around your studio were the exact words. And I think that's kind of a good idea. But then on another and kind of think it makes it look really cheaper. Like, <laughs> do, you kn- anyway. do you know what I thought when what? I saw it? I was like, this is the sort of thing that would go really well on a rack. It would look awesome on a rack. And do you know the only thing that would look better than that on a rack? Mm-hmm. Six of them stacked one on top of the other on a rack. Well, there you go. So, we're looking at the computer. What did you think of the monitor that's being sold with <gasps> it? Oh, my God. Uh, I thought the monitor was excellent. I mean, there is yes. no denying that it is. For a start, it's HDR. So you've got yeah. your differences between your blacks and then your, your brightest parts of the screen uh, is amazing. It's 6K, which again makes it amazing. Uh, it's a 32-inch uh, screen. It looks like an iMac. Uh, an amazing monitor. And then they also brought up the thing where uh, you can have a matte finish. Now, it's, a, it's an extra. Mm-hmm. But quite often you will have to deal with uh, reflections on a screen. Well, I suppose it all depends on where you're located. Um, but if you are uh, fussy about reflections on a screen, you can get a matte finish and they've done some really, you know, amazing whatever technology to, to be able to do this. And it's an extra grand on top of that. Um, but the display was nice. But what they did, and here's what kind of like really threw me. They spoke I'm about the display, the, the display, and then they, in same breath, spoke about the stand for the display. Yeah. And the stand is kind of, you can move it up and you can move it down, and you can angle it this way and that way, and it's all special and yada yada, and everybody's like, wow, blah, 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 blah. And then they said, and the display is available for uh, $4,999 for the display. Yeah, and everybody's exactly. kind of going, whoa, that's expensive. And then they go, 5999 if you want the matte finish. And everybody's kind of going, whoa, whoa man. Mm. And then they go, and an extra $999 for the stand. And you could literally hear in the crowd, oh, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but mm. you priced, you priced up when we were talking about this, um, your ultimate spec. No, Mac Pro. No, I didn't. What I did was I priced up the basic. Okay, Ooh, so now okay. The, the Mac Pro is, is is a monster. Okay, it is capable mm. of running a twenty eight core Intel uh, uh, processor with three hundred watts of power, one point five terabytes of of, of RAM. Uh, it's got MPX to dock powerful graphics cards and normal ones as well. You can add in a, a, a another video card called Afterburner, which significantly speeds up your rendering, which is the biggest pain in the rear end with a, a video editing then it's got lots of this is what made me laugh it's got loads of uh, pci uh ease slots it's got built-in internet thunderbolt three slots a usb a slot and a three and a half millimeter headphone jack (laughs) 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 they still have it anyways the basic model six grand right that's for the mac pro throw Mm. in another six grand for the display Mm. And then another grand for the stand, and you're looking at a basic model of 13,000 and up. 
Yeah, but you know who's going to be using this? Oh, it's going to be people who make movies. This is this is your next Avengers. Uh, exactly. Movie. And, and uh, I saw pricing of kind of like, if you want a, a Mac with all the bells and whistles, it's going to cost you 35000 And I kind of went, for anybody who's making a movie and really wants to save a lot of time, you just walk out and you buy 50 of those things. <laughs> Seriously, no question of it. No question of it. Anyways, listen, that's that's the Mac Pro. So, yes, it was impressive. I think I will consider the actual starting end Mac Pro because it's more powerful even at the starting end than anything else uh, I know of. I'm definitely not going with the display and I'm definitely, not, definitely, definitely not going with the stand. Um, but the, there was also, for the first time ever in one of these uh, worldwide developer conferences with Apple, a sense of humor. There was. A there sense, was a sense of humor. humor. Take a listen to this. But if there's one thing we hear over and over, it's, can iTunes do even more? <laughs> I think it can. Like, how about calendar in iTunes? <laughs> I mean, you could have all of your appointments and your best tracks right in one app. Could we take it further? I think so. How about mail in iTunes? <laughs> And maybe Safari and iTunes. And how are you going to switch between these apps? Well, of course you'll add a dock. I think we've nailed it. Of course, he's talking about the end of iTunes and they've decided to split it into three apps. One to handle your music, one to handle your podcast and one to handle all your movie and videos and all that kind of stuff. Am I correct? Yeah, and thank goodness for it. I mean, iTunes had become such a monster, really. If you open it up on your computer, the chances are you only want it for one thing. You only want to play a few songs. You only want to Mm. maybe buy something. You don't want to do all these things. Um, You just need a simple app. I mean, one of the things that uh, is great if you get a a third-party thing like VLC or MediaMonkey or something like that, it just plays music. It just plays what you throw at it. And that's that's it. That's all you want. It just mm. plays things. You don't you don't need a store bolted onto this. You, the message has gotten out. You know, if you want to stream something, use a different service. If you want to do something else, fine. Do, you know, apps should be smaller, I think, uh, is the, the take home that people have learned from, I guess, from mobile devices. Well, no, I, I don't even think that. I think apps should do one thing and do it well. Yeah. OK. Yeah. That's, that's the other way I'd put it. Uh, and also, I think for us, because we do a podcast every week, I think it's great having a, a, an app. Don't mind you, we did up until now, didn't we? On the phone, we did. Sorry, yes. Yeah, uh, that's we, not going we, anywhere. A lot, a lot of people uh, do find us that way. Um, iTunes, good. Um, the other thing, sign in with Apple very quickly. I love this. I love yeah. it. Now, sit down, Niall. You never hear me talking about Apple and going, I love this. Very true. But you love this. But I do love this because it's, you know, kind of every time you want to use a service over this, like sign in with Facebook, sign in with Google, uh, Apple are now jumping on the bandwagon and sign in with Apple. But what makes it brilliant is that if you don't want to give your email address, Apple will create a single use email and use that for that app only. So when Mm. you delete that app, the email gets deleted with it and you never get hassled by that particular provider. Yeah, yeah. I think that is fantastic for us as users. I don't think developers will like it. <laughs> uh, I think ad tech developers will really not like and it. And I think they'll really not like it. But then again, that's kind of kind of the uh, 
the reason for it, isn't it? Like, you know, mm. um, it's also kind of interesting in that uh, Apple are saying now because they want to get this uh, around and because they have the ability to do it is they are saying to developers, you must include it. If you include if you offer a sign in with Facebook or a sign in with Google, uh, you must include a sign in with Apple. Hmm. If you're on the Apple platform, of course. Yeah. Which kind of makes, uh, makes sense. And then the other thing is, uh, is that they want you to make it as the first option. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, that makes sense. It's there. It's their yard. If you want to look at it that way. <laughs> there you go. So listen, lots, lots to, um, I won't say celebrate, but, uh, certainly lots that we were very interested in. And I think, uh, I think we could definitely give this year's, uh, Apple Worldwide Developers Conference keynote speech a 10 out of 10. What do you think? Yeah, let's let's do it. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. We all know AI and machine learning are going to change the way that we work, whether it's moving from a five to a four day week or giving you more time to devote to the more challenging aspects of your job. In five years time, what you do for a living may look completely different or may not even exist at all. Nanofa Merchant is an expert on the future of work, how companies can change how they operate and how we can make ourselves more interested in and interesting to work with. She met with Nal Kitson at InspireFest last month to talk about the concept of onlyness and why it pays to be yourself. Your sort of initial interest, um, I suppose, was looking at how products can be managed and changed and how business models around products can be changed as well. Um, I'm thinking specifically about how design companies moved from sort of big box model to the cloud. So can you tell me a little bit about companies you've worked with in that transition and how you found the appetite for that kind of move? Sure. So uh, one of the examples would probably be Adobe, one of the best-known tech companies today, really struggled with moving from a boxed product to what is now a SaaS cloud model. Uh, And we actually piloted the idea uh, to just see if people would be willing to buy um, all the products together? Would they be willing to pay a premium? Would there be cannibalization? Just that whole series of questions that are about protecting the existing business. And now, 10 years later, uh, Adobe is hailed as one of the innovators in the online cloud space. Um, and it was such a big risk back then and so concerning um, because it wasn't clear, right, if people would follow them, if they'd go from buying a $1,000 product at once to being able to pay a monthly fee and be able to commit to a product line over time. And it's a model that we've seen rolled out pretty much on all the big players at this stage. Uh, One imagines, though, that there is an awful lot of pushback internally if if they look and go, well, our margins are fantastic here, and people don't necessarily think they need to future-proof. That's exactly right. I think the tension is... You have the existing business to protect and manage, and you know what that number is, and the market knows what that number is. And then the future is this unpredictable, unknowable thing that you have to plan for and start making transition steps for, and yet you so are protective of the current business. I was actually in the room when I had to convince the Nokia CEO that he had no more business, that he had to sell to Microsoft. And I remember his entire executive team had essentially been telling him this for a year, Uh, But probably not as directly as I did. I just came and said, listen, there's nothing left. So the only thing you have to do now is manage for your team and because there's nothing left to protect. And when when I said it that way, he finally realized that he could let go. 
And I think that's what leaders really struggle with. Uh, and I've just done this so many times with so many leaders. They struggle with, it's almost like opening up your hand to go to the future, and you're worried that you'll drop all the precious gems that are in your hand today. And that sort of level of openness is something that you've talked an awful lot about in your business consultancy. And I think it's a very human thing that once you've uh, applied or gained a certain level of expertise that you do want to hang on to it to sort of prove your worth. But you look at things from a different perspective. Yeah, I think the big insight I've had in the last 10 years is maybe longer than that, but uh, that I've been able to articulate is we've been conditioned as a society to think about advantage as the thing we hold on to so tightly. And I've been suggesting for many years and starting probably with my second book on 11 rules for creating value in the social era is there's a whole market opportunity that's opened up when you figure out how to have other people co-create things with you but for people to be able to co-create things with you you have to be willing to let go and protecting what you already know to be true so it's almost like going mentally from that fixed mindset to that learning mindset that carol Dweck gave us that beautiful language around to be able to say i don't have to just know already but I can be in this curious learning mode to figure out who else can come help me build the future. I think that um, level of curiosity is very interesting when you apply it to reasons why ideas die. I mean, you've spoken before about uh, ideas not being implemented, not being listened to, not necessarily through a lack of grit, but by not perceiving someone as being for want of a better expression, worthy of having an idea in the first place. That's exactly right. The question of who is valued enough to even hear them um, turns out to be a really big filter. And so what we end up doing is hearing likely about 30% of the ideas we could hear instead of hearing this breadth of ideas that we that we could choose from. And uh, a lot of current people who have power say, well, it doesn't really matter because we hear enough ideas. And uh, But that's actually not true because our rate of innovation, our cost of innovation goes up if we're not seeing this full pool of ideas from which to pick. And the research I've been doing for the last seven years says that we're probably limiting anywhere over half to 70% of ideas. We're not even seeing them at the table because we're looking at the person across the table and thinking, that person can't can't possibly know. It could be the admin, it could be the janitor, it could be the uh, person who's outside the company. And and as we know from existing stories, I mean, I'm trying to think of the company that just did the new hot um, hot Cheetos. It was the janitor who came up with a new recipe uh, for these new chips at Frito-Lay. And it was because he had taken home the spices and taken home the raw product and built something that he liked. And now this product is doing incredibly well in the market. And you wouldn't think, gosh, that person should be responsible for product design. But it actually begs the question, could any one of us offer a creative take? Uh, I guess we are talking about bias and people do like embracing ideas that come from people that are like them. Uh, And I think it's a problem across the tech sector in in general. How do you fight against that kind of um, that kind of inherent bias where people trust each other because they are similar to each other? You know, the, the big thing I try to convince people is if you believe that you need to win in the marketplace, then it's just in your economic interest to figure out how to get more ideas on the table. I don't try to convince them through the diversity angle because I think people only do something that's in their best interest, and I want their self-interest to be about making money. And, of course, new ideas come from new people, and not people generically, but onlyness specifically. Uh- and when we talk about onlyness, I mean, you're not just talking about somebody that looks different or has a different job. It's a much more complex idea. Yeah, so onlyness. Each of us stands in a spot in the world only one stands in. It's 
function of your history and experience, visions and hopes. And it's it's a way of saying it's not about diversity, for example. Like some people think here and hear that. It's the it's not just about people who are traditionally marginalized. It's also about you know, young people are told they're too inexperienced or older people are told they're out of touch or engineers are told um, that sales runs this company or marketing is told that sales doesn't know enough, right? Every organization has a group that they deem worthy of being more heard than other people. And yet engineers could complement what sales can do and sales can complement marketing, right? So we got to figure out how to stop being so ridiculous about who we listen to. And right now, what this research says is we're only listening to the people who already have power, in, or, and that means we're only getting about 30% of the ideas. Uh, there are a couple of other things people are pretty concerned about in their working environment at the moment. Uh, one of this is, is my job under threat from AI? So how concerned should people be? Is it, is it a case of, well, let's embrace otherness so it's something AI can't do? Yeah, so the biggest thing I'm trying to do is is figure out how to actually tap into the human capacity each of us have. And I center that on onlyness because what I'm actually saying is each of us standing in that spot in the world, only one stance. And the reason I'm saying that is because I don't think it's about humanity generically. Ideas come from someone's specific life experience perspective, you know, all of that. So it's a, it's not just humanity generically, it's specific to each person. And then, you know, I think a lot of people think, oh, it's okay if AI comes in because it'll be that Uber driver's job that'll go away. But one of the things I like to remind people is anything that is a profession has a set of standards. As soon as you have a set of standards, you can actually automate that standard. So a lawyer, one of our most esteemed careers that people go into, has a set of standards. The lawyer's job could go faster than a writer's job, right? Because it has a set of protocols it has to follow in order to be able to do it. So all of us are at risk. And right now the data says that 80% of jobs globally require little to no judgment, creativity, or decision-making. That's crazy. That's insane. And then AI could easily be put in place. And then what would we have as a society? We'd be devastated. And so what we need to do is immediately start tapping into that human creativity that all of us have. One of the things I've noticed, though, in jobs that are quite highly skilled, and actually the legal profession is one of them, is that there are basic, basic skills that people don't even realize that they have, like the ability to search a library, mm-hmm. um, that people are already outsourcing to Google or to search engines. How do you communicate the value of actually knowing how those basic skills work, even if you know you're not going to apply them in the real world? You know, I think the, the things that can be automated will be automated. And so I think the thing that all of us have taken for granted is um, that somehow if we're like a white-collar worker or tech worker or something, we won't be replaced. And yet if you just think about the things that we used to spend labor ourselves on, right, like search, which you're describing, I, I was doing market research when I was in my early 20s. Market research back then involved like buying Gartner research and IDC research and pouring through paper and writing up little notes that I would then send on to the executive team about the implications. And the I, like the ridiculousness of that today when all of us can do our own research, right, has changed. So things that we once used to have entire teams of people doing called competitive intelligence now is absorbed. That's going to happen to just about anything. So when we're looking at things like um, market research, etc., do you think that we're going to be substituting focus groups for big data sets where you look at actual purchasing power instead of what people inside a room say? Yeah, of course, of course, because then we get more of what people actually do versus what 
they say they're going to do. So focus groups used to be the best prediction of what someone might do, and now we actually know what people might do. I remember when Google was uh, aware that people who started at their company gained 10 pounds within the first three months. They had a set of data that people just started recording their own data and telling it to Google, and Google was like, oh, my God, we're making our employees sick. And then they actually figured out that it was because, like, if you went to their snack areas, there was no friction between, um, uh, like, if you went in, you could actually, like, open up a candy jar, open as much as you want kind of thing. And they thought, well, what if we put more friction in there? And because they had the data, they actually sat there and thought, we can make the packaging harder. We can make smaller quantities, right? All these different things that behavioral science then would say, we're going to help people make better decisions. So the thing is, every company can choose to do that. They're doing it for their employees. We could do it across the board, and we can then tailor it down to small groups of people and really make sure their needs are met. So data, of course, is going to become the new insight. The problem I have with it is that if it's the same group of people coding technology as codes it today, then we're going to have the bias of mostly white, mostly male people coding in what we should you know, make decisions on. And so that's why we have to fix how many ideas are at the table. And of course, when we start introducing AI and freeing up sort of skills at the bottom end, it does create the question, well, what am I actually going to do at my time? I mean, not everybody is going to be able to divert themselves to, to higher order thinking. So how do you see the workplace of the future looking when you have the case of people that would be automated, um, either won't have anything to do or don't have the level of input or, for want of a better term, the capacity to generate input at a higher level. Well, I, you know, one of the things I've been doing for the last few years is every place I go, coffee machine shops or, you know, just different places I say, I get to, into a conversation with someone and I talk to a guy who was shaking paint cans because I was recently redecorating. Doing that thing where you choose a paint chip color and he makes the paint and he puts it in the little thing and it shakes for a little bit and then he hands it to you. And I was thinking, well, this job is going to go away. So I was really curious, what did he do? Why did he do that job versus other things? And it turns out he actually loved the, the act of painting. And because he loved the act of that coloring and stuff, he ended up finding this as his way of work. And I said, well, if you weren't doing this, what would you do? And he goes, well, I'd paint. And I think that's exactly it. It's like, what could we do? if the machine replaced the automatic thing? What could we do? And I think most of us have way more capacity than our jobs use. That's what's so fascinating to me. And so either the company will take advantage of that, latent capacity, or we'll have to find a way to go put together our Etsy business or whatever it ends up becoming. And we've got to find more creative ways for us to be able to make money off our actual capacities, which I think we have more of than we usually tell other people. So I guess the challenge then is to uh, use AI to solve the basic problems uh, and create opportunities for greater expertise than replacing people wholesale. Yeah, I think all of us are going to want to add our bit to the world. You know, I, I go back all the way, so this is my geeky side coming out, uh, and I hope the audience will forgive me for how geeky I'm about to be, but uh, in the Star Trek universe... Uh, the people had basic income essentially provided for, right? And then it was a question of what would be their best utilization. So if you were an engineer and had those kind of skills, if you're an empathic person, you could become a counselor. You, there were 
all these different ways in which people manifested their gifts. And I often think, even the guy with the visor who was in later shows, I'm sorry, I forget. Jordy LaForge. Jordy, thank you. And, uh, but Jordy, who had a vision impairment, was able to then add something and then bring a different set of gifts to the team. And I think that's exactly it. It's like, so right now we write off soft skills and we don't necessarily value them in the workforce, but that empath was often the person who was able to hold the team together, right, in high-risk situations. So what could we do? And I think the world becomes then much more about what is it we're capable of providing and how do we match that up? And then I think we have a bridge to make, so I'm not leaping over it or anything. I'm not suggesting it's not a difficult bridge, um, but we have a bridge to go from the current model where work is a commodity you know, Walmart is a commodity, to a place where people could go, okay, how could I be a retailer here and really stock the product in such a way that people would want to buy more of it or whatever the manifestation is of their gift? Uh, I guess lastly then that creates the issue or opens the space of ethical business uh, and how do you compete with the likes of the Amazons who do have that cold automated system uh, but being able to go, look, this is small local business, we actually know what we're on about if you want to find out about something you don't necessarily have to deal with crowdsourced review just ask us yeah so i think that's the real question about what is the service or what is the value add of a local proprietor i I know i have a little boutique in los gatos california called bella rosa and they will text me brands i like jeans i like whatever it is and they know like down to the specific whatever oh nilifer you were looking for a leopard suit the other day I think I found one, and sometimes it won't even be their product. I think I found one you'll like, right? And then they end up becoming my full-stop resource. And I think that's what we're going to do is try to figure out who are people who can be well-matched to us and uh, and then figure out how do we compensate one another fairly. And uh, that was Nile Kitson chatting with Nilofer Merchant. And you can find out more about her and what she's about at www.nilofermerchant.com. That's N-I-L-O-F-E-R merchant.com. All right, that's our show for this week. Just before we go, Niall, uh, do we have a one more thing? Yeah, well, we have a load more things. Uh, I recommend we, we've been talking about WWDC. We've got an awful lot more from WWDC on the website this week. Okay, you can get the lowdown on that. And of course, all things tech that are happening in Ireland every week with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. And of course, do listen to us each week online on your favourite podcasting app or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio One Extra. Until next time, for myself, Dusty and from Niall, thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.